I, I think we all have to be on the same page. I, I actually don't even know how 18% of people voted that was a good race because that was bad. Beans, Rice, Jesus Christ, and Byron, we have our first two-time winner in the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season, William Byron in victory lane at Martinsville. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com, my co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. Nick, that was the worst race I've ever watched, points paying-wise. Uh, it's right up there with the uh, Indianapolis race that they refused to call because of darkness, you know, that wreck fest that Casey Kane stole. I'm not going to include the all-star race at Texas last year. That was so bad. That race was awful. Now, there's been debate this week. Is it the new car? Was it because of the lower, colder temperatures? The race being at night? But I think we can all agree that that race was beyond awful. Looking at Jeff Gluck's good race poll, it ranked as the third worst of um, since he's been doing that poll at 17.8% of people saying, yes, that was a good race. And it also got, or 18.7, sorry. Third row, third lowest race in poll history. It got the second most votes in poll history. People came out to say that this race was bad. I'm assuming we're on the same page here, but what did you think of Saturday night's race at Martinsville that was completely dominated by two guys? Chase Elliott led 185 laps. William Byron led 212 laps. That's 397 out of a total of 403. William Byron and Victory Lane. What do you think? I mean, I, th I, I think we all have to be on the same page. I, I actually don't even know how 18% of people voted that was a good race because that was bad. That was... That was a stinker, a sneeze fest. Pretty much only like three drivers could really make passes. One of them being Joey Logano. He came to the front. One of them being Austin Dillon, who looked Surprise quite out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we talked last week about the like there were like three drivers or four drivers that made a breakout from under 99% of a, the leader speed in the past. Two of those were Austin Dillon. Well, he did it again, although he was above 99% this time. He was actually at 99.0%. So he almost had another, uh, he almost was three out of the five times it's happened. Um, but, uh, and then uh, Ross Chastain came through the field and finished in the top six or five, something like that. I don't remember the exact finishing position there, but uh seemed like those were the only guys that could make passes. If you follow me on Twitter, which I know many of you who are listening do, I tweeted out uh, on Monday a little thing that showed like if a driver, basically if a driver had a problem, whether that was a mechanical problem, kind of like uh, Truex had with the tire or Denny Hamlin had with fuel pickup, or I don't know what that was, uh, or a pit penalty, then they couldn't make it back through the field. The highest finisher of anybody who had a air quote problem was Bubba Wallace. And his problem happened on lap 91 of a 400 lap race. He got <laughs> penalized 
and he just couldn't come back through the field. He had a fast car. He was passing cars at the start of the race when it was a little warmer out. But, I mean, not that it was that much warmer. But before people really got their cars dialed in, there was more passing, I noticed, in that first stint. But as teams started working on their car, it just became impossible to pass. And I thought that first stint was actually pretty good. Um, I thought, you know, the first 90 laps or so, whatever it was, until that uh, first stage break or caution. Um, it was it was the first stage breaks, um, lap 80 there. And then I think Bubba Wallace, you know, it was like 10 laps of caution because stage breaks take forever. Uh, got penalized on lap 91 or whatever it was, 10 laps later, 11 laps later. But um he couldn't make it back to the front. And same with Brad Keselowski. They both got penalized in that first set of pit stops. And they were just stuck in the back of the lead lap. They didn't get lapped. They were just stuck at the back of the lead lap the rest of the race. So it was not a good race. Um, as far as what's the cause of it, obviously weather is a potential. And there's multiple reasons for that. In the heat of the day, Tires are going to wear more. They're going to lay down more rubber. If you can get that bottom line rubbered in, it'd be easier to pass on the outside. Also, colder air is more dense, and that means more downforce. So think of 2019 when we had the high downforce package, right? That was mm. Those Martinsville races were just, you couldn't pass the leader. Well, in really, really cold temperatures, I mean, it was sleeting there before the race at certain points in time. Then... It just, it, the air is so much denser, and that means more downforce. So that could be an issue, uh, the tires. So I think a lot of it could be the weather, but at the same time, we didn't see the best racing of all time at Richmond. It was fine for a Richmond race. It was maybe on the actually on the better side of recent years. A lot of that was strategy, but that's because Richmond had a lot of tire fall off. We didn't have that at Martinsville. There was absolutely no rubbering in of those turns, and... Maybe that's also a tire choice. Maybe it's not just the weather. Maybe it's not just the car. Maybe it's also the tire choice. Maybe they needed to go with something softer that would rubber in more. I don't know for sure, but I, for the whole race, was thinking, man, I understand it's cold and these tires aren't wearing, but you would think at least something, and, and there was just absolutely nothing. So maybe the maybe Goodyear will have to go to work. Well, I'll be very interested to see if they come with a different tire package in the playoffs at Martinsville. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it snowed last year before the Martinsville race. So I get the argument about it being cold, but it's not like it wasn't cold last year. Mm. We didn't see this shit show of a race last year. I mean, this was bad. You know, it, it was William Byron, Chase Elliott had the best cars all day. Once again, Alan Gustafson, I am I'm willing to say that he is the worst crew chief in NASCAR. His pit road strategies that he calls 90% of the time are beyond awful. I still am it's it's Tuesday night and I'm still trying to figure out why he pitted Chase Elliott when track position meant everything. Chase Elliott was the dominant car for the beginning, running second to Byron all, you know, the rest of the time, slipped back to fifth there. And then Gustafson decided to, decided to pit him, and then he's stuck at 11th and literally can't pass anybody, despite having – he was third in green flag speed. Ended up 10th. But, yeah, I I just don't – I think a lot of the I, – I, I'm to the – I'm swaying to the side of I think it's the car. I think they built this car for 
mile and a half to make those races better, the bigger tracks. And it's just, it's whiffing at these small tracks. Like you said, Richmond was a snoozer up until the strategy came in. Phoenix, I could probably say the same thing. There were two dominators. There wasn't, I like, I wasn't impressed with the Phoenix race. And I don't think, I don't know. I don't know who the 18% are that was impressed with this Martinsville race. Like you said, but um, it just beyond awful. Like, I think the best car won. I think William Byron had the best car. I think Chase Elliott had a great car. You know, Joey Logano, like, once again, we saw practice speeds translate very well to the race. Chase Elliott had the best car in practice. William Byron is right there. Blaney was right there. Logano was right there. And they all finished, or they all had, you know, they're all top four or whatever in green flag speed, top five. Um, But, man. Uh, yeah, that was, it was just, it was bad. And... I mean, obviously the race was uh, only 400 laps instead of 500, and, and I think there's some room to talk about that. But uh, I also want to talk about, you know, just how bad this race was. If we look at passes, there were about four passes per lap last year. So that adjusts for the number of laps, 500 laps versus 400 laps. There were about four passes per lap last year. This year, there were about three passes per lap. So a 25%, almost a 25% drop in the number of passes. Um, oh, actually, uh, yeah, pretty much uh, almost exactly a 25% drop in the number of passes. And, you know, yes, there was one more car that last year than this year. So I'm looking at both first Martinsville races, but it's it's a negligible difference. So, you know, you could do per car per lap or something. And it's still around 20% drop in passes. Um, just, yeah, it was tough. And the funny thing is there was, and I'm talking green flag passes. Now, if you look this year versus last year, the percentage of green flag laps was much higher this year. So actually in terms of green flag laps, it's even more than a 20% drop. I don't have the exact number of green flag laps. I didn't think to pull that in. Uh, it's kind of, it just came to me there, but if you take the number of green flag passes and the number of green flag laps, it'll be even more than 20%. This was just a 20% drop versus total laps. But I didn't even think about green flag laps until I you know, just thought of it now. But yeah, it was a huge drop in the number of on-track passes from last year's April race to this year's April race. What, what, even, what even stood out to me um, was... I just saw a tweet, Gluck retweeted it today, but talking about the ratings from the races. So last year's race got moved to Sunday and went head to head against the Masters. You know, that's all that's all I heard this weekend was, oh, DraftKings dropped the big GPP because it's going against the Masters. And uh, this race is on Saturday night because it's going against the Masters. Uh, last year's race that was on Sunday that went head to head against the Masters did 2.3 mil. This year, 1.9 on Saturday night. Now, a big part of that is because it was such a bad race, but um, this whole you know narrative of people aren't going to watch something because it's going head to head against something. I'm I it, it, I have yet to to see it work out like to become true in a major way. Now, would it could have been different if if what's his name who won the Masters Scheffler or whatever his name is didn't run away with it possibly, but I just. Do you, so that that brings up the question: Does Martinsville deserve a night race? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. And obviously, temperatures are going to be colder at night. Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, I could go through the stats and show night race versus non-night race for Martinsville, the, the passes. But um, you'd have to think at this point, you got to have the race in the heat of the day. Um, they added they added lights to Martinsville because everybody thought it'd be a spectacle. But if it's just going to be a snooze fest, you got to go back to day racing. Investment be damned. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I have the exact number. So 381 green flag laps last year, despite it being a 500 lap race, uh, because there were more cautions, and 361 this year. So despite there being 100 more laps last year, there were only 20 more green flag laps. So that's because there were no cautions this year. I mean, there was two, I guess, outside of the stage cautions. But that means if you take last year's passes per green flag lap and divide it by this year's passes per green flag lap, there was a 34% drop, 30, 35.1% drop, I'm sorry, 34.1% drop in the number of green flag passes, or number of passes per green flag lap. Sorry, doing math on the fly and I'm getting all my terminology confused here, but you get the point. Like, that's an insane drop in passes per green flag lap. Uh, unacceptable, in my opinion, for that. And it reflected in the polls. I mean, 18% said it was a good race. Uh, the stats just show it was impossible to pass. And drivers made comments to the effect of, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just impossible to pass. And so when the drivers are, are saying it, the fans are saying I, it, something I think Canals did too. Yeah, yeah. If I remember right on Twitter, I was I was watching it, but I w- I didn't have the sound on. I was out Chad of bar, so. was saying about uh, the ride height rules. So basically, once they got rid of the ride height rules, uh, that's when like everything seemed to change at short tracks and made it a lot harder to pass. And Clint Boyer was like, "Yes, thank you," you know, and because Boyer agreed, he's like, "It's black and white in the data." And so um, yeah, I, I don't know if they can with this new car bring back various ride height rules or not where you can adjust the ride heights but certainly chad canals who is one of the best in the business of all time seems to think that had something to do with you know the ability to pass in a race at these short tracks uh has made it a little bit harder a little bit of a detriment add in this new car add in the weather add in the the lack of tire degradation uh the higher downforce just from the dense air all of it it was just the perfect scenario to have a really, really bad race. Uh, like I said, almost 35% fewer passes per green flag lap than this exact same race last year. One thing that stayed true this race, though, was the good people at Martinsville got to the front for the most part. Logano, Blaney, Kurt Busch, all very strong at Martinsville, Chase Elliott. But then we had some some guys that really did not perform up to their where they should have, particularly Martin Truex Jr. and your boy Denny Hamlin. Hamlin had another bad finish. He's he's still stuck at one top ten through eight races this year, which you love to see. Love to see. You love to see. Yes, everyone some of does. Us, some of, every, every, everyone, everyone, everyone. But that that was another. Speaking of cautions, he brought out a caution on lap three thirteen, which. I it's another one of those I don't think should have been a caution. I think it was NASCAR trying to manufacture drama. Um, but 
once again, we saw the, the good cars at Martinsville get to the front. And when you have, you know, you and I had another very good betting day this past weekend at Martinsville, because as we said last week, very predictable racetrack. And when you have books like Ballybet getting super generous with their top five odds, Byron was at plus 265. I think Logano was like at plus 220. Um, yeah, this is just another shameless plus. Blaney was at plus 220. Blaney was at plus 220 to finish top five at um, Martinsville, which obviously Blaney was on my shit list last year after I dumped a bunch of money on him to finish top 10 and he came home 11th. But um, another shameless plug to follow Nick and I on the Action Network app because we are having a very, very good year, and it's not like, every single week. It's we, we just come back to that. Now, will that transfer over to the Bristol Dirt Race this weekend? We'll get to that a little bit later because I have my own thoughts on this race and, and how I'm going to approach it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to stick to Martinsville here because I want to talk about the Xfinity race. We usually don't talk much about the Xfinity race, but we had some drama. We only we we not only had drama, we had a full like race wide caution wreck, <laughs> and then the drama at the end of the race with Ty Gibbs coming up, in a way sucker punching. Um, who did he hit? Sam Mayer. Sam Mayer. Yeah, I immediately tweeted out, you know, at least take your helmet off, you coward. Like Ty Gibbs did not take his helmet off, started throwing punches. What was your take on the fight? I saw that Ty Gibbs was fined $15,000. That's it. And he wasn't even fined for the fight. He was fined for making contact with another car on pit road. What the hell? I'm not even going to say what the hell is that. Because I'm on, I'm on the, the bandwagon of, I want to see these guys fight. I love seeing the passion like that. I'm sick of, the cardboard cutout drivers that just get out and thank their sponsor and don't have any emotion and don't get pissed off at each other. I want to see this. NASCAR needs this. Yeah. Do I I think they need to be throwing fists every race? Probably not. Was Ty Gibbs in the right to throw fists after this race? I don't think so, but on the whole, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, it's funny because, um, I, was super into the race. I had a, a pretty, pretty sizable bet on Josh Berry at six and a half to one to win. So I was like all about watching the race. And then, of course, his own boss, Dale Jr., got into him and, and spun him and wrecked him, and not on purpose or anything, just uh, kind of how things can get with real estate at Martinsville. Um, so after that, I was still interested and I was watching the race. Then they had that really late caution. It was like red flag. And that red flag took forever and i fell asleep and missed the end i literally missed the last restart (laughs) and i woke up and i saw tweets about a fight and i was like what the heck you know and i I had no idea what was going on but uh going back and watching it i mean yeah i I, i'm on the side i'm on your side where i think you know i have no problem with drivers getting heated getting into it getting a little physical but what i have a problem with is ty gibbs he can dish out the bump and run, but he can't mm-hmm. take it. He will whine and complain and act like he was hard done. But he did it the week before. 
Yeah. To his teammate, or like two weeks before, something like that. Like a one or two races prior to that, he did the same thing. And that's not the first time this year that he's done that. That's the and so the one time it's done to him, he acts like uh, it, it, uh, it shouldn't be happening to him. Come on, dude. If you're gonna dish it out, you gotta be able to take it and take it like a man and take your helmet off. I'll tell you what. We've talked about this before. I brought it up before. I think it's a Joe Gibbs racing mindset thing. Kyle Busch, big whiner. Denny Hamlin, big whiner. Ty Gibbs, big whiner. I think it is ingrained in their culture. Truex, to some degree, will whine over Truex. the radio a lot. Truex, once he won that championship, if if it, if a backmarker didn't get out of his way immediately, he starts bitching. I remember Christopher Bell last year. He wouldn't call Kyle Larson or whatever anymore after that little deal. I, I, I'm really starting to think this is a Joe Gibbs racing thing. It is just them. Like you have to be kind of like college racing, how they're all super aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's it's an organization thing. But yeah, Ty Gibbs like Ty Gibbs have to have some self awareness there because you're already you already have the the reputation of being the silver spoon kid mm-hmm. that the only reason you're good is because you're in Grandpa's car. You have the best car. You're not really that talented. And you're going to come around and complain when you get, like you said, the, the exact same thing that he did the week before. Come on. And, and then, and yeah. You know who cherry this on is, top is it's Joey Logano all over again. And there was actually an article on NASCAR.com where they're interviewing Joey Logano about this Ty Gibbs, Sam Mayer situation. Because Joey Logano was the Silver Spoon kid, the rich kid from Connecticut. Yep. Uh you know, get a ride because the money don't get me wrong. Super talented, just like Ty Gibbs, super talented, um, super aggressive would, would do people wrong. And then whine when he would get done wrong. And even Lagana was like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, I had to learn the hard way and I did learn the hard way. And I think that's what Ty Gibbs is doing now. He probably shouldn't have done what he did. And I don't have any problem with him getting angry about it, but he's going to have to realize if he does it, other people are going to get angry about it too. Kind of one of those things. So, yeah, I'm, and to be fair with the fine, I'm okay with that because the contact on pit road thing could be a safety issue. Uh, we've mm. seen that in the past, and that's why NASCAR will fine for the the contact on pit road because it is a, a potential safety hazard. If you you know if you spin a car on pit road after the race when when people are letting their guard down, it's no longer a hot hot track or whatever supposedly, uh, and pit crews and and media or whoever are kind of spilling out on the pit road. That that is a potential safety violation there, so that's why they find him, uh, and I'm okay with that. But I'm I'm fine with yeah. the fine, but I'm I'm more fine with, and I hope that this stays. Is um, they're saying it's okay to to fight, right? You're not punishing for the fight. You're saying it's okay. Let them do it. And by the way, I know this is going to be a hot take, and I might get some heat for this. But the official that got in the way and got hurt during it, just get out of the way. That's your own fault. Don't try to break up a fight. Get out of the way. Like I don't like I don't feel bad that he got hurt, and I know that's going to sound awful. People are probably going to be mad at this. Get out of the way. It comes with the territory if you're trying to break up a fight. I'm not. I'm not saying good or Have bad. Have you seen or the NASCAR official officials, dude? They're all like 400 pounds. Yeah, well, this guy actually, this guy, the guy who got hurt actually was not even an official. It was uh, some guy in a baseball hat with a, you know, I I don't think he was officially an official. 
I think he's so he, so he really had way. no no business but, being. But there. if you watch him, he like kind of falls over and lands on his knee, and I think he like you know I don't know if he broke his knee or something, but uh, that's what happened. And the the whole point is like if guys are fighting and you go in and try to break it up, things are going to happen. So you're kind of subjecting yourself to that by stepping in, whether it's for good intentions or not, that doesn't matter. You're subjecting yourself to that possibility. And that's, you know, just the nature of the beast. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to expect there's a chance I'm going to get hurt here. I it's like if you're at a bar and a bar fight breaks out mm-hmm. and you and you walk in to try to break it out like break it up you have to acknowledge the fact that you might get punched in the face mm-hmm. like it's, it, just stay out of it and if he wasn't even an official like and like I said if NASCAR is now saying yes you can fight they need to send a memo to all their officials and everyone when something like that happens don't go in there there's no reason you know who's going to break up the fight are the crews. The crew chiefs. They yeah, will break the, up the those crews. fights. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Now, they might, they might continue the fight for a little bit, but they'll break <laughs> exactly. it up eventually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I will say I think it's good that we have some of these rivalries, these, these tempers flaring, because like you've talked about, the, the dull – NASCAR sponsor, it gets old after a while, so it was nice to see a little spice. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm always on board for, like even, even Chastain at Circuit of the Americas, him and Almendinger and Bowman all fighting for the for the race win. I loved it. I hated it DFS wise, hated it, but I loved it sport wise. Mm-hmm. Speaking of AJ Almendinger. He ended up 24th after starting dead last Saturday night. Now, he had a pass-through penalty to start the race. And and you and I, you know, this is always the big debate when these guys get these pass-through penalties. Now, obviously, the big tracks, it's no big deal whatsoever. Like, Pocono, it's no big deal. Um, any mile and a half, it's not a big deal. This one, though, it was like, you know, I didn't know what to do with Almendinger DFS-wise. I know during my live stream, you said, you know, just try to stay with the field, you know, exposure-wise. Almendinger still ended up 24th. If there would have been just one early caution, he would have probably finished Mm mid-teens. And I don't remember exactly what his ownership was. I'm going to pull it up here real quick. Um, I was surprised, speaking of ownerships DFS-wise, I didn't think Bo or I didn't think Byron would go that high. So he was at thirty six and a half percent. I didn't think he'd go that high. I thought Blaney would be a lot higher. It was my big surprise. I, that was the one I tweeted out as soon as I saw ownerships. I was like, "You, you all remember that Blaney is very good at Martinsville, right?" Like, and he's kicked ass this year, <laughs> and he's starting twelfth. Like he has place differential potential in addition like, to dominator potential. Like what? And and you could have made. Like during my live stream, I made like several lineups just going Chase, Blaney, Byron, and they were comfortable lineups. You know, they yes. were yes. out of there. Like, so that, yeah, that was a big one. But uh, AJ Allmendinger, I guess he was at 27.8%, which, which is right around what we were both saying. I had low 30s, and I think you had high 20s, right? So, yeah. So, okay. That, po- that, that point's kind of null and void now. But, yeah, no, but you're right, though. Like, he, he got one lap down early, 
But then he stayed on the lead lap for most of the rest of the race. I think he ended up going a second lap down on that really long run there at the end. But I don't uh, think he he didn't stay on the lead lap. He was always one lap down. That's what I'm saying. He he was one lap down, but then he stayed on that one lap down. If I misspoke there, he stayed on that one lap down the most of the rest of the race until I think that last really long run there in the in the third stage. And I know after the he was fine, like he was good. If he if he had just had any sort of luck where he could get on the lead lap, or if he just didn't have that damn penalty, I still like my plus three, whatever it was, plus 325, plus I think some people got it at plus 400 after practice and qualifying uh, to finish in the top 10. I still like that call. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I just didn't know there was going to be a penalty at the time when I made that bet and that tweet and that article on the, the Action Network. It was, it was funny. It was almost immediately after I actually put the in the app tracker that the penalty was announced like, <laughs> like 30 minutes later. And I was like, are you kidding me? It was like Doc Block City. Yeah. Um, and well, it, it just goes to prove again. Go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Keep going. I was going to say, it just it just proves again. You know, the third highest lineup in the GPP that night had Allmendinger in it. And the second um, highest had nope. Paul Menard oh. pick of the week. The week. Austin, Austin Sindrick. Yes. <laughs> that and, actually... and here's the funny thing. Sindrick would have done even better. But when Truex got that flat, Sindrick almost hit tricks he had to go and avoid him and he lost like three or four spots and just couldn't get him back after that point and he was always at the wrong part of the pit strategy it was like everybody behind them pitted so they had fresh tires and even though you know it was like dumb like chase elliott doing it if you're at the tail end it makes sense where where chase elliott did it didn't so he was always on that wrong strategy and he still finished uh 11th and was in the second best lineup uh, in the big GPP. But it could have been a better day. It could have been an eighth or a ninth place finish and, and maybe in that winning lineup. I say he, was, he was running up there sixth or seventh, I remember, quite mm-hmm. often. He was he actually ended up being in my like my single-entry main lineup that I used everywhere. I went uh, Chase, Blaney, Byron, Sindrick, Ty Dillon, Harrison Burton. So... I was all on board for the Palmonard pick of the week last week. But going back to Almendinger quick, you know, it just, once again, the pass-through penalty does not matter. Like, and everyone seems to always overreact to it. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't. I've done it before. I did it when Chase Elliott won the, actually, no. When Chase Elliott won the championship, I said, you need to play Chase Elliott plus, well, I think it was Logano, whoever started on the pole. You know, this is the time to play first and second. But I'm, I'm guilty of it a lot of overreacting and it, if if a if a pass through penalty does not affect you super negatively at a half mile track that went green the entire time mm-hmm. these pass through penalties do not matter unless you have an absolute garbage car and I wouldn't even say Almendinger had a great car on Saturday night he it's probably had fine, about 15th yeah. place car Absolutely. with a little bit of luck he would have got up you know up there yeah but yeah 100% agree and and that's the other time we saw a pass-through penalty at a track this small was the Kevin Harvick one at Bristol. And, of course, there was a wreck right at the start. Yep. But yep. but this was like worst-case scenario. We're talking an even shorter track, uh, and there was no caution for 80 laps. Yeah. And I'm being a sign. And I, I, I remember it like the end or the end of the first stage. 
he was like 29th. So he went through, he did a pass through and he still passed like seven cars, which is just like, when you think, when you actually think about that, it, it shows you how awful cars like Corey LaJoy, Justin Haley, Cody Ware, those cars are. If, if AJ Allmendinger can literally start. You know who's been real bad this year is Justin Haley. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside of, you know, super speedways, he's, it's been a pretty tough year for him. Everybody was talking about how he did so well at the clash. Well, the clash didn't tell us anything about Martinsville. Justin Haley did and, awesome in the clash. He stunk up the joint. Kyle Larson did awesome at the clash. He wasn't very good. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. Or sorry, not Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Tyler Reddick wasn't very good. And he was probably the best car at the clash, right? Like people put way too much stock in the clash for a race that really didn't matter. And I know people are going to like, say well justin haley has you know six finishes a 23rd or better this year he hasn't been running there though like right you have to remember those races like at vegas fontana those early races had a lot to do with the final cautions that's why guys like suarez picked up top fives in those races so Marola and uh, kurt bush also had really good finishes compared to where they ran in a lot of those exactly and switching over now to season standings chase elliott's still the points leader right now byron now has 12 playoff points so we finally got kind of an emergent leader in playoff points um ross chastain leading the way now with five top fives and also five top tens in these first eight races which is he also only has five lead lap finishes which i think is kind of you know it's literally hit or miss when it comes to Ross Chastain this year. But the funny thing is that at Auto Club, when he had his spin, um, which caused his tire to go down and a little damage his car, he lost two laps there at the end. That happened like partway through the last stage. He was running sixth mm-hmm. at Auto Club. Like the dude is for real this year. He is a championship contender. Yeah. And you know who else is a championship contender? That I think. I don't know if he's still available at 10 to 1. William Byron. Mm-hmm. This this could be his breakout year. He's already got two wins. He's been right there with speed w- with Ryan Blaney all year. You know, obviously Blaney's been the fastest car all year, but Byron has looked great. You know what else is surprising points-wise? I think I don't think it's too early to say that Stuart Haas Racing is back. I agree. Eric Amarola is in eighth in points. Kevin Harvick's in ninth. Chase Briscoe's in eleventh. They have and three cars. Chase Briscoe, yes. yeah. They have three cars in the top eleven in points right now. And Cole and Custer's still in twenty fourth. Cole Custer had a really good car at Martinsville, though. The, yeah, he did, and he was Until one of those who got issue. penalized and sucked. Yep, exactly. Yep. So it's he. He's definitely. I mean, the whole team is bouncing back for sure. But compared to his teammates, Cole Custer is still just. Not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I just another, wanted to touch on that Chastain point real quick before we go. He said those three, like the three non-top fives he's had. One's yep. Daytona. Daytona's Daytona, right? Shit's going to yep. happen. The other one was California, like we talked about, where he was running sixth when he spun out with, I don't know, half of the last stage left. And the other was Richmond, where he drove up into second place. And until that little back and forth deal with Ryan Blaney, that last quarter of the race, he was junk. Uh, he legitimately could have top fives in every race if 
you know, things had gone a little bit differently. And that's why, like, even, you know, if he would have got a couple of lucky breaks, he could have stole a win at Martinsville. Like, I'm, you got Chastain at what, 30 to 1 earlier this year to win the championship? Uh, when you, 50, when you first, 50 to, one. 50 to 1. When you first tweeted that, I'm like, you're insane. Like, I, I didn't say it to you. I was thinking it. I was like, Ross Chastain isn't going to win the championship this year. You know what? We're almost a quarter of the way through the season. And Ross Chastain, like you said, looks legit. And I don't like the guy. And I'm sitting here saying Ross Chastain is there. Flip side, guy having probably the worst season of literally everyone outside of the back markers, and he's almost at back marker level. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Last five races, 27th, 28th, 37th, 31st, 28th, and then he had a 21st at Vegas. His best finish was 10th at Fontana. JTG went down to one car this year. Typically, that turns into, like, they can focus more on one car. They get a little bit of speed. They've almost gotten worse this year. Do you think something's going on there? Do you think this is more bad luck? Because he's not even qualifying well. Yeah, he's been he's been slow at a lot of these. I, a lot of it has been just slow. Uh, the funny thing is, outside of the restarts at Auto Club, he probably, if they had gotten a couple long runs at Auto Club, he had a top three or five car. No mm-hmm. joke about it. He legitimately had a top three or five car on the long run. The short run, the restarts didn't benefit him. And there was a ton of those at the end. He still finished 10th. Other than that, they have been terrible, and I don't know why they were so good at Auto Club, but so terrible everywhere else. Now, he's not a good road course racer, so there's that. Uh, he's typically not super good at Martinsville. Uh, he led He led 22 laps at Atlanta and then wrecked in the lead. Yeah. Still obviously, a great super speedway racer. Obviously, the in, in at Daytona, he, he was pushing for the lead. He got the lead until he, you know, Keselowski wrecked him. So I think at the super speedways, the, the drafting tracks, he's fine. Auto club. He was fine. Vegas was like mediocre, but everything else, the short tracks and the road courses for him have been terrible. And to be fair, we've had three short tracks and a road course out of the eight races. So not exactly a strong point. Although I did think if anywhere he was going to be good at short track, it was going to be Richmond because that's his best short track. Mm-hmm. Also continuing to struggle, um, especially after, or not even especially after, but Toyotas. Um, and I want to touch on this because once again, there were some crazy odds for top Toyota that you and I both hit this past weekend. Kurt Busch was at 20 to 1. Bubba Wallace was at 25 to 1. You got him at 33 to 1. Uh, obviously, Kurt Busch hit. So it was a good day. Any, any day you can get a 20, 20 to one bet. Like, and you say it every time. There's only six Toyotas in the field. When they're offering 20 to one, 30 to one odds on these guys, like you have to, I, I think you have to bet them, don't you? Like most of the time, yeah. I mean, there's occasions where, no, I don't think you need to bet them. And I think, you know, some of those might be like Bubble Wallace at a road course or something. I just but, like those kinds of things you don't have to, to bet. Uh, but by and large, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in betting top Toyota these days. And I mean, let's, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we got a dirt race coming up, which is going to be 
certainly kind of a wild card race and Bubba Wallace is a good dirt racer. We'll talk about that. He's 16 to one for top Toyota. I would bet that. Yeah. It's, you know, if the situation makes sense, I think you have to bet it. Like when, when you tweeted out Bubba Wallace 33 to one, I was like, yes, I have to bet that. And literally as I was going over to, to Indiana, I saw Kurt Busch 20 to one. I'm like, I have to bet that Kurt Busch is really good at Martinsville. Mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace is really good at Martinsville. They're both the 2311 cars were significantly better than the Joe Gibbs racing Toyotas in practice. And of course, you know, Kurt Busch finished sixth or whatever, seventh top Toyota. Um, but are we, I don't know whether to be worried about the Toyotas or not right now. It's weird to me because, you know, this last weekend at Martinsville, you looked at the practice data and you said Toyotas were really good on the short run. As soon as they hit that 20 lap mark, they fell off a cliff. Like, and we saw that it, early in the Martinsville race. As the race mm-hmm. went on, I don't think we saw that as much, again, because teams are able to improve their cars and such. But definitely that first stint, we noticed the Toyotas came up front, and then they all started, especially Kyle Busch, started falling back. Yep. And I was yep. like, that's exactly what we saw on the practice data, you know? And as the race went on, we didn't see that as much because it kept getting colder and teams were able to work on their cars more. So it becomes harder to... To, I mean, I guess it becomes easier in some ways if other teams are improving it or not. But assuming the Toyotas are also improving their car, they're also improving it on the long run, which is why they weren't dropping off in the long run as much uh, as they were early in the race when they only had that little bit of practice. All of a sudden, they had one, two, three hundred laps to, to work on their cars by that last stint or last half of the last stint there. So certainly that's what we saw. And, and here's the funny thing. Going into the week, you could get Bubba Wallace 66 to 1 for top Toyota before practice and qualifying. You could get Kurt Busch at 40 to 1. And my dumb ass was like, well, I still want to <laughs> wait. I know they're really good here, but so are Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. and Christopher Bell. They're all like and Kyle Busch, all really good here. So I'm going to wait. And then I got them 33 and 20 to 1 when I could have gotten them. 66 and 40 to one. That's, you know, those are those situations where it's, it's, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Coulda, shoulda, woulda each time. But, um, you know, looking at this season, so eight races, six Toyota cars, that's 48 attempts. They have a total of eight top fives among them. Take out the super speedway races, which Bubba Wallace had top five at Daytona. Kyle Busch had top five at Daytona. Those are their only top fives this season. Kurt Busch had a top five at Atlanta. Take that out. We're now left with five out of 48. You're looking at 10%. 10% top five rate for six cars. Well, I it would be six times six if we're removing the super speedways. So five out of 36, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Eight, 8 out of 48 is 16.7%. Um, what did you say it was? Uh, 5 out of 36 is 13.9%. Yeah, so a little bit less. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't know what to think here. I, they're, they're definitely, they definitely don't have dominating speed. Where I'm looking at it is, are people going to overreact to... Toyota's overall not having speed DFS wise to um, 
where you can take advantage of it. Because we've talked about this before. Especially, it usually takes about, historically, we get to the Coca-Cola 600, we get to race number 12, number 13 of the season, and we see a huge shift usually in speed. We see usually the slowest team or the second slowest team make a big jump, and that's the time, DFS-wise, to be contrarian and go with those guys. Are you worried that Toyota has just not been good at all this year? Like, is it time to, like, to officially stay off of them for the time being? It's weird. I would say maybe yes, except we're going to Bristol Dirt, which is, I I don't think you can say, well, we we can stay off the Toyotas now because I don't think this is like any other race. I mean, think about what happened last year. I don't think any of us were expecting Daniel Suarez, who'd never run dirt in his life, to be dominating the race, you know? Uh, that's uh, that's very true, especially because the next two weeks, are I was going to say Bristol, and Bristol Dirt and Talladega. Yeah. So, and like I said, we'll go ahead. We'll start getting into Bristol Dirt here. My opinion on Bristol Dirt: I'm literally going on vacation this weekend. I'm not going to watch the race. I'm not going to bet. I'm not going to play DFS. That's how much I hate this race. I think it's a complete gimmick race. I think it does not deserve to be on the schedule especially after last year. And I have no interest in even wasting any of my time or energy trying to predict what's going to happen with this. I hate this. I hate this race. I think it's stupid. Had to get that out there. I, I think I I wasn't a fan of the race last year. Um, there were a lot of problems. Remember, they ended up going to single file restarts. Like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. That's so dumb. They changed the rule in the middle of the race. But they're... <laughs> There still were some things like Kyle Busch and Christopher Bell were slicing through the field until Bell spun out and wrecked. Like those are the two best dirt drivers that we thought going into that race. And they were until that wreck, which obviously wasn't Kyle Larson's fault. Christopher Bell, that's his fault, but he still was absolutely amazing up to that point. I, and, and other good dirt racers like Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Newman, they all had really strong races. So good dirt drivers showed up last year. And that makes me want to bet good dirt drivers again. And obviously I made some tweets and things earlier today about good dirt drivers or, or various odds. And I do have some opinions. I do think there are some opportunities to make good bets here uh, for this race. Who do you think? Let's let's get right into it then. Who <laughs> who who do you think books are undervaluing? Who do you think that they're a little bit uh, overestimating? Mm-hmm. What do you think about this race? Because, like you said, Daniel Suarez came out of nowhere last year, could have won it. Joey Logano won it. He was nowhere. He, he's never the favorite, but um, he came out and won it. And and as you tweeted about earlier today, that I saw people that were fast in the race were not fast in practice. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, it was the first race on dirt. You know, obviously teams are figuring stuff out as the race goes on. It's going to, it's going to happen for a while, especially if you have one dirt race a year, you know, it's it, stuff's going to just change, but you know, obviously Kyle Larson, Christopher bell, they're going to be the, they should be the top two guys. Like they are the best dirt guys in the, in the series. They had the best cars last year until bell wrecked and took out Larson with him. And Larson also started in the, in the rear that, yep. that so perfect time to be contrarian last year. Um, 
But who who else has your eye this week when it comes to the Bristol Dirt Race on Sunday? Yeah, certainly. And when we talk betting, I definitely want to talk about undervalued people because overvalued drivers, it's hard to say. Like I would have said, you know, why would anybody bet Daniel Suarez last year? And then he had a good race. So um, I don't mind missing on a Daniel Suarez, but I do want to make bets on guys that I think have a chance to shine. And the number one underrated driver, and I'm really, really hoping that as of this recording right now, FanDuel has not posted top 10s. DraftKings didn't post top 10s last week until after practice and qualifying. But typically FanDuel doesn't post top 10s at all. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Do they? Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had midweek top 10s last week. It was after practice and qualifying. They never added anything back. I feel um, like I'd never see him, but oh no, that definitely all the time. Um, but here's the thing: the driver that I'm looking at has the longest odds uh, outright on DraftKings, so I know they're not going to post. Well, actually, another book just posted. He has even longer odds on points bet since I've last looked, but. Uh, this driver, I would bet him top 10. And I think you're going to be a fan of this. It's our boy, Gilly Gang, Todd Gill. Yes, sir. 7-1 to one at BetMGM for a top 10. I'm holding out hope that uh, we can get better odds somewhere for a top 10. But I don't think that's going to happen. So I think we're going we're gonna to have to roll with the 7-1 the to one at BetMGM. But uh, here's the thing. Todd Gilliland is good at dirt. In the four dirt races he's raced in the truck series, uh, which two of them were at Eldora, one was at Bristol Dirt, and one was at Knoxville. So three different tracks, mind you. Mm-hmm. So so it's not just a well, it was a flat dirt track versus a steep one, whatever. Three completely different dirt tracks. He has an average driver rating in, the, again, this is the truck series, 106.4. His worst is an 86, but the other three all over 100 with a peak of 130 driver rating. Wow. Yeah. And finishes of 22nd, which is not indicative of how he ran. Fifth, fourth, and fourth. That's really good. Uh, the first two starts at Eldora were for Kyle Busch Motorsports. The next two starts were for the you know the team he's on now, the the front row of Motorsports, but in the Truck Series. So solid equipment to good equip to very good equipment. But as that translates to Cup, that's still really good, and. As we've seen, good dirt drivers are good dirt drivers. The guys that were good, that that won at Eldora, Bubba Wallace, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, they showed up last year at the cup race as well, Prior, obviously prior to the wreck for, for Bell and Larson. But Bubba Wallace, 7th in Stage 1, 7th in Stage 2 until problems late. So good dirt drivers are good dirt drivers. Todd Gilliland, very undervalued at the books compared to what my dirt metric is. And I'm basically uh, taking all the dirt races in the NASCAR national series, which Xfinity's had none, but the one cup race and the several we've had at Eldora, Bristol or Knoxville for the trucks. 
I'm scaling the trucks to what an equivalent cup performance would be. And then I'm also equipment adjusting, right? If, if, if Dylan has an amazing race, but he's also an amazing equipment, that's not as awesome as having an amazing race being in slightly less good equipment, like with the furniture row where he had a really awesome race. It's not quite the Kyle Busch motorsports equipment. So that actually really helps him as well. Uh, so scaling all that and then adjusting for sample size, right? He has like four dirt races, whereas some others have five or some of them have one. You don't want to give the same weight for somebody who's done one dirt race as somebody who's done right. five or six dirt races. So you want to give the person who's done five or six more weight. So adjusting. So I'm basically regressing things to the mean and I'm regressing more for people who have fewer dirt races and I'm regressing less for people who have more dirt races. And, and the mean I'm regressing to is their equipment mean and their current year performance mean. So, you know, for Todd Gilliland, I'm, I'm regressing all the way down to the furniture row cup mean and his driver rating this year or his performance this year mean. So it's regressing really far and he still mm-hmm. stands out. And that's because he has enough a robust enough sample size to know he's good at dirt. So seven to one for a top 10, I think is insane. Think about Bubba Wallace last year. He ran inside the top 10 pretty much the whole race until the end there when he had problems. He finished two laps down. Obviously, he wasn't didn't finish two laps down because he was bad. He finished two laps down because he had a problem. So, he, I mean, he, he probably should have finished top 10 if he didn't have issues. So, why can't Todd Gilliland? It's such a good week. When it's Gilly Gang week. And you know what? It's going to be Gilly Gang week, not only this week, but next week with Talladega as well. And that's that just makes me excited. Yep. Such a big Tal Gillen fan. But another guy that I just pulled up the odds. Kyle Larson's the favorite this week. Uh, best you can get him at is DraftKings at plus 550. This is as of Tuesday night. Martin Truex Jr. sitting there at 14 to 1. Dominated the truck race last year. Led 126 laps in the cup race. I like those odds. Yep. I'm, I, I, and, and I know before I was a little exaggerating. I said I wasn't going to bet. I'm not going to play DFS. I'm probably going to bet, and I'm probably going to play DFS this week. But not to the <laughs> level that I normally do. Like, right. I'm still a degenerate. Like, this is, you know who I am. 14-1 to 1, Martin Truex Jr. He might end up being the Jordan Jinx this week. He, he probably will, to be honest with you. Yeah, and when you look at my when you look at my metrics that I've been talking about, expected. So I'm, I'm just going to call it expected driver rating for this weekend. Kyle Larson number one, mm-hmm. Joey Logano number two, uh, Christopher Bell number three, and Martin Truex Jr. number four. So, and, and the only reason Truex is behind Logano is well, two reasons I should say. Uh, reason number one the Vegas odds are part of that. So my model is about 75% my model and then 25% Vegas odds because that's still a predictive factor. The wisdom of the crowds can still <laughs> help us. It's it's just like the state fair thing where you're guessing the weight of the cow. Somebody guesses 30 pounds Wild. and somebody guesses 10,000. Well, if you get enough guesses, they all end up getting pretty close to the average there. So wisdom of the crowds, the average of the sports books still helps us in analyzing races so the fact that logano shorter than truex is a part of that but also as we talked about toyota hasn't been as good this year 
as forward or especially as Penske. JGR hasn't been as good as Penske. So that's regressing Truex down a little bit as well. Even though Truex does have that two-race sample size, uh, he has the truck race and he has the cup race, whereas Joey Logano just has the cup race. Uh, it, you know, that 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 uh, is part of it as well. Is, is Truex is getting regressed a little less, so it brings him closer to Logano, but then he's getting regressed more by the fact that the, the mean we're regressing to is further down for Truex than for Logano uh, and then throwing the Vegas odds. So still Truex is number four in expected driver rating. And if I'm looking at just here at DraftKings, one, two, three, four, five, he's tied for sixth in odds to win. So yeah, that potentially could be a good bet. I, I certainly think there's Jordan Jinks potential there. Yeah. Good old Jordan Jinx. Um, who was it on last week? I don't even remember. It might have been on Blaney. I think it was or was it on or Chastain or something? I don't know. I have to go back and look. But looking back at last year's Bristol Dirt Race, a um, couple things were very apparent. One, the, the, the good dirt drivers had the speed. They might not have got the finishes, but they had the speed. Two, the guys that, like, they ran up front all day. So Joey Logano finished first. He finished sixth and first in the two stages. Stenhouse finished ninth and sixth in the first two stages, finished mm-hmm. second. Hamlin, third, third, and third. Daniel Suarez, despite starting back in 18th, finished fourth in stage one, second in stage two, fourth in the race. And Ryan dominated Newman. dominated part of that as well. The only reason he yes. didn't finish first in the stage is just because he got passed at the wrong time. But, yeah. Absolutely. Ryan Newman, like you're about to say. Yeah. Ryan Newman finished fifth. He was eighth in stage one, fifth in stage two. Um, The only guys that, you know, really aren't following this trend were Martin Truex Jr. who won the first stage, fourth in the second stage. I don't remember what happened to him, but he led 126 laps. Mm -hmm. He had one of the best cars. And then Bubba Wallace, who was seventh in both stages and then finished 27th. Yeah. Those were clearly issues there that wasn't because they had bad cars. Mm hmm. Oh, and I was I was wrong about Kyle Larson. He started on the pole, had to go to the rear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was rained okay. out last year, but he ended up yep. starting in the rear because of a, some adjustment or penalty or something. For some reason, I was thinking that he was like super chalk starting 39th, but in reality, he wasn't. Right. Because I, I mentioned going contrarian there. But, um, but yeah, so... You know, we get two practice sessions this weekend. First one on Friday at 4 Eastern, and then the second one Friday at 6.30 Eastern. And then we got qualifying races on Saturday. So we get we get a good, good bit of data here, practice and qualifying, cars on track, that we can look at, we can analyze. The story this year has been... The speed from practice has translated into the race. With how Bristol Dirt was last year and how dirt races are in general, so much changing, do you think that there is that we should value practice as high as we have been this season? I, or yeah, go ahead. is it is it gonna end up like last year? where Daniel Suarez, who was junk in practice, ends up almost winning the race. Yeah, I wouldn't put a ton of stock in practice or 
the heat races because all the heat races are going to do is set the starting lineup. What's the point in racing hard in the heat races just to junk your car? Mm-hmm. Right. And the way the heat races are. So there's four heat races going to be nine cars in each heat race. You get points for finishing, but you also get points for place differential. So they're essentially using a DraftKings formula to determine the starting lineup in each, you know, from each heat. They'll, they'll be able to rank it by points on a DraftKings style format. So if you draw the first place in your heat, you can only finish first and gain 10 points or go backward. So you almost don't want to be on the pole for your heat because you can't gain place differential points. And it's a random draw. So we can see Cody Ware leading the field to green and Kyle Larson starting last in that heat. You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of weird crap that can happen. I'm not going to put a lot of stock in practice, especially because like you said, things can change. The tr- how wet is it? How much more dry mm-hmm. does it get? You know, they're always trying to water it. I'm I'm not putting a ton of stock in these things. Maybe a little bit more in the heat races just to see, you know, is Todd going really good or is he junk? Or, but even then, that might not help us. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think these heat races need to be very competitive. We saw Kyle Larson could drive from the back to the front. So why is anybody going to risk trying to start up front just to junk their car in a heat race? But then you'll have, you know, just like the the duels this year, you could have said the same thing. And then you had Joey Logano saying, I'm going all out because I want to, you know, because that's just who he is. You know, you're always going to have people like that. Yep. But I, I haven't been paying. I haven't been paying. I haven't been paying any. I, I'm going to be honest. I haven't been paying any attention to this race. That's how much I hated it last year. The big the biggest issue last year was the dust. They couldn't keep the dirt or they couldn't keep the track moist enough to you know not do dust and and like you said they went to single file restarts have they released a plan to for this not to happen again or are they just saying i hope it doesn't this time i i I honestly don't know uh yeah there's there's definitely a plan to make sure that doesn't happen again um they there's they were even talking about like not using windshields and some kind of screens instead or whatever i don't know but that's not happening but the point is i think there's gonna be more water uh it's gonna be maintained a different way more 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 moist so we don't get as much dust and dirt flying around but that all remains to be seen right that all remains because they they thought they had they figured out last year as well i was really surprised i i was surprised that they're not that they didn't take off the the windshields because i'm pretty sure every driver said you need to do this yeah and they're still like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's who knows, but uh, I, it's just one of those things where it's like we won't know until we just see it in terms of practice, in terms of heat races, in terms of how the track's going to be. It, it's still a work in progress for NASCAR. And last year obviously didn't go perfectly. Obviously, I mean they had to make rule changes in the middle of it. So I think it's still a work in progress, and I don't think we can rely too much on last year, which is why, yeah, Daniel Soros was awesome 
but you have to regress his performance to some kind of mean, uh, some kind of average. And it was one race, right? What I'm going to put more stock in is drivers that have done this five or six or seven times in NASCAR equipment, uh, whether it's trucks or cup. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like, not like I'm not waiting Daniel Suarez's race at all. Obviously, in my metric, I still am. It's just it's being regressed more than somebody like a Todd Gilliland or Christopher Bell or Kyle Larson, who's done this three or four or five or six times. What about what's your thoughts on Ross Chastain this week? Because you could get him at 35 to one right now. Obviously, Bristol Dirt last year, Daniel Suarez, track house. I mean, that was their best race by a good margin. All of a sudden, this year, track houses, they're probably going to win multiple races this year. Is Ross Chastain on your radar? And at this point, each and every week, does he have to be? Because I'm starting to think he does. Yeah, I mean, I think he he obviously has to be on your radar. Uh, he he has the one cup race, and he has one truck race under his belt and dirt. And he did pretty well in trucks. Uh, 2019 for Nice Motorsports, 88.4 driver rating. And again, that's equipment that's not amazing. Started 12th, finished 12th, but had uh, an average running position of 9th. So a little less flattering on the final result than how he actually performed. Uh, driver rating, like I said, 88.4. So that's pretty good, especially for not being in top-tier equipment. Uh, I think he has to be on your radar, especially with how Trackhouse did last year. And so even though we only have a two-race sample size on Ross Chastain, you know, I'm regressing to Trackhouse means and stuff. And that gives him a pretty solid overall expected driver rating actually just slightly higher than Daniel Suarez. Uh, Ross Chastain, 86.8 Daniel Suarez, 84.6. And they're right next to each other in my predicted order. So like I said, it was Larson Logano, Bell, Truex one through four, Byron five, six Elliott, seven Hamlin, eight Briscoe, nine Blaney, 10 Reddick, 11 Bowman, 12 Cowbush, 13 Chastain and 14 Suarez. Now, if, you're getting Chastain at 35 to one. That's much farther down. I, I haven't even counted that far, but that's much further down than 13th in mm-hmm. the, you know, the, like Kyle Larson's first bell, second Logano's third on DraftKings. It's much farther down than 13th for Ross Chastain. So I do think 35 to one uh, is a potential bet. I haven't bet it myself. I haven't, uh, I haven't bet anything yet. I'm still waiting to see what's out there. I do a little bit regret not jumping on Kyle Larson seven and a half to one right when he opened at DraftKings. That, yeah, that uh, I didn't even notice. I wasn't paying attention, but that would have been one definitely. I think I would have jumped on. I'm, I'm looking up. Uh, I got iFantasyRace.com opened up right now, looking at notes. Which, by the way, if you don't if you don't subscribe to that website, if you don't follow Ryan on so iFantasyRace, that dude works his ass off. Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine how much time he puts into all this. It's it's truly amazing we're going to get him on this show one of these times but what happened uh last year he started in 17th talking about ross chastain here he started in 17th he was up to 11th on lap 54 and then he was collected with the bell larson wreck so um definitely chastain showed potential last last year in the dirt race i i personally like you know that's one that stuck stuck out to me as did you know truex at 14 to 1 those are the two that have kind of went out in in my head um 
this weekend. Do you have anybody else in, in, in you know, just browsing the odds? And I, honestly, I don't know of any, you know, any of the guys on the, the Action Network app that have made any bets so far. I think we're all just waiting for practice and everything to, Certainly. you know, unless you grabbed, like you said, Larson early on. But um, I think everyone's pretty much waiting. Is anybody standing out to you right now that, you know, you're, you're teetering on the possibility of betting you know, just because after practice and qualifying, they could go a lot shorter. Certainly. I, I, it's funny because there are some drivers that have gotten a lot of hype, like Chase Briscoe. Rightly so. Don't get me wrong. Chase Briscoe, mm-hmm. Tyler Reddick, uh, Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., because they performed so well last year. Um, maybe of those, you know, Briscoe, I would say potentially even more so than Reddick, I think is undervalued. But that a lot of those are actually overvalued just because of the hype uh, and their, yep. their odds are a little too high. But one guy who's not getting the hype right now, and I'm not saying this because I like him, is a guy who finished third in stage one last year, third in stage two last year, and third mm. in the race last year. Come on. No, get out of here. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Denny Hamlin <laughs> is 16 to one at DraftKings. Uh let me see through all the other books. Yeah, if you just go to actionnetwork.com slash NASCAR, you can see all the odds at once. Uh, so 16-1 is the longest you can get them right now, which is at DraftKings. I, I have and to note right now that typically DraftKings is shit with odds. Mm-hmm. They have the best odds on a lot of drivers this week so far. They certainly do. And, and I actually think this is a great week because DraftKings has a few. BetMGM has a couple. Caesars has some points bets up in there. Uh, it's, it's a nice mix right now. The one that surprisingly doesn't is FanDuel. Usually FanDuel is the one that's right. like, this is just all FanDuel. It's all blue Yep. when I look at that, but yeah, uh, but I, I, I going There's back to Danny it. Hamlin. I mean, the guy has one race under his belt, so he's getting regressed pretty far to the mean and he's getting regressed to the Joe Gibbs mean this year his mean this year and it's so it's regressing him pretty hard because he only has one race of dirt and he's getting regressed because to a less than stellar performance but the model still likes him that's how good he did last year that denny hamlin is undervalued per you know what i see in the expectations uh i have him sitting one two three four five six seven and he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, tied for tenth with Blaney and Kyle Busch uh, in odds at DraftKings. You know the mantra here: a good day for Denny Hamlin is a bad day for me. Yep, I can't get on it. I understand that. I get the value though, sixteen to one. Yeah, I mean, he could he could pull another hack win out of his ass. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not saying I love it, but if we're talking, you know, value compared to maybe where they should be, I think that that could be one. I definitely am on board with Truex. I'm uh, I'm on board with Chastain. Uh, Kyle Larson, we opened, yes, and of course Gilly Gang for her top ten. I think those are the places I'm looking right now. But I think somebody like Tyler Reddick is overvalued. I'm not going to bet him at 14 or 16 to 1. No. Uh, Chase Briscoe is right on that borderline. I think he's, I think if I could find Chase Briscoe, 
uh, longer than 14, I, I would probably bet it. But at 14, I think I'm just, it's just wait and see mode for me. You know what's weird about Richard Childress Racing? Like we see, obviously we saw Austin Dillon great race at Martinsville. We've seen Tyler Reddick have great races. I feel like we never see both of them have great races. It's like one of them gets a great car some weeks and the other one gets a decent car. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we never see both of them perform really well in the same race. Just something, just a weird note. But yeah, to have Reddick at 14, like, what are you talking about? Tyler Reddick has literally never won a cup race. Yeah. And he's 14 to one. I, don't get me wrong. He's a good dirt driver, but there's a lot of good dirt drivers in this field. Right. Give me a, give me a long shot over that, over exactly. those odds. I would, Absolutely, rather have Chastain at thirty-five than Reddick at fourteen, and it's not even a consideration. What about someone like uh, Eric Jones, seventy-five to one at Caesars? I don't hate that. Um, the issue for Jones for me is he's really hit or miss at, which isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, if you're hit or miss if you have high upside, but he's hit or miss at dirt. Even he has. Uh, two dirt track races under his belt in trucks. Um, one was a driver rating of 69. Nice. The other one was a driver rating of 93. Nice. <laughs> so uh, to be fair, one of those, he clearly had issues. The, the 69 one, he clearly had issues because he finished six laps down. Um, so it's not totally indicative of how he ran that day or anything. But I also consider that one building my model. The other one, 93 is pretty solid, uh, but it's definitely Kyle Busch Motorsports. And and like we said, you know, somebody like Todd Gillen was hitting 100 plus at yeah. Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, driver ratings. So, yeah. And then last year, Eric Jones, I think he I think he got stage points in one of the stages, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was eighth in stage two, didn't finish up there in stage one and finished ninth at the end of the race. Maybe a little bit of that could have been attrition, right? You know, I mean, obviously, if Bell and and Larson didn't have issues or uh, Briscoe had a couple uh, of incidents, which I think was his own doing. And then uh, you mentioned Chastain getting caught up in the bell Larson thing. Uh, Bubba Wallace fell off there at the end. Martin Truex Jr. Fell off the end there. I don't think it would have been as strong for Eric Jones. Um, whereas he, you know, he kind of sh- shined stage two, finished eighth. And at the end of the race, finished ninth. It was like a late race stuff when, some other drivers starting to have problems. Another driver that's at 75 to one on Caesars is Bubba Wallace. Yeah, I would bet that in a heartbeat. I actually bet him a hundred to one when he opened at Westgate. Previous, previous Eldora winner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, had ran, up front, and- ran up front the whole year last year for dirt, the dirt race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think that's solid odds. And you know, if you can if you can translate that to top three, top five, I don't think Caesars does top ten, but um obviously, yeah, when you can get the like and that and that's once again Caesars. I like I'm looking at all these odds. DraftKings has Bubba at thirty and Caesars has him at seventy five. They're so generous with, with long shots. Yeah. I actually forgot I had bet Bubba at Westgate because I was thinking about ones I track in the app because we can't track Westgate in the app, but uh right. You know, he opened 100 to one there, got money on him at 100 to one. So that is my one bet I have so far, uh, which 
it's funny because then he opened at DraftKings at like 30 to 1 or something. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. So very happy about that. He's down to eight. I think the last I saw he was down to 80 at Westgate and he's 75, like you said, at Caesars. I, I, I would bet that, absolutely. Uh, but only at that number. I wouldn't go betting Bubba Wallace willy-nilly at whatever number you can find him. I mean, because he's 40 or 30 at other places. I, I, I don't think I'd bet him at – I definitely wouldn't bet him at 30. I'd consider him at 40. You can get him 50 still at BetMGM as the time of this recording and 75 at Caesars. So those I would yeah. I would bet. And I and I feel like sometimes there are some weeks I get we get tweets, you know, about people that have placed bets and and you know they got a guy at like 6 like I'm throwing out random numbers here but they like got a guy at 6 to 1 when we were talking about getting him at 12 to 1 like when we talk about these bets and the and the values that we like, it's at the odds that we're talking about. It's not just betting them to bet them. It's the actual odds. Where and as always, like we say all the time, you need to shop around. And ActionNetwork.com/slash/NASCAR, you can you can see all the odds from the different books. And as we've you know we talk about every week, and we've talked about here just recently, they are so different from book to book that you literally like. I have all I have like eight betting apps on my phone yeah. it's not even legal where i live i literally have to drive 15 minutes over to indiana to bet on any of these but i make like a list of the bets that i want to make and then i just go app by app and put my bets in like i you always have to that, that's what you have to do with with this stuff because this isn't like football where you know a team is favored by three and they're typically favored by three at every single book like these are some massive different like the the difference between 75 to 1 and 30 to 1 is massive Mm -hmm. if you're putting ten dollars on it it's it's a difference between winning 300 and winning 750 like so just keep that in mind you know if you're if you're betting if you're listening to any of this like guys that we like to bet it's at these specific odds that we are talking about. And, and when you get, and when you get down to those small numbers, like it doesn't sound like a big difference between six to one and five to one, yep. but that's the exact same difference as 600 to one to 500 to one. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a relative basis. Right. And it's actually, that's not even quite true, but the, the idea is, uh, y- you know, these differences become amplified as the number gets smaller there is a much bigger difference between five to one and six to one as there is 20 to one to 21 to one. Yeah. And that's just because of percentage, right? Uh, at, at five to one, you need to win one out of six tries to break even. And at six to one, you need one out of seven tries. So that's the difference with like 16 and 0.7% to 14 point something percent, uh, like 2% difference. Whereas at 20 to one, you know, you need to win, about five percent and at 21 one you need to win about five percent of the time like that that change is so small compared to the change from five to six so when we say oh i like betting this guy as you mentioned we're talking about at the odds that we were mentioning i'm not going to bet ross chastain at 20 to 1 or 22 to 1 where you can find him at other places but i absolutely would consider him at 35 to 1 as we see at DraftKings and FanDuel. Would not bet him mm-hmm. twenty-two to one at points bet. Would not bet him twenty-two to one at bet MGM. Yeah, perfect example is is Ross Chastain here. You know, twenty to one, 
Caesars, 35 to 1 DraftKings. Log into DraftKings. And if you're going to bet Ross Chastain, bet him there. Uh, so, yeah, Bristol Dirt, you know, last year we didn't see too many surprises finishing wise. You know, you could kind of throw in Eric Jones and obviously like Suarez, but like Ryan Newman, good dirt racer. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I guess Stenhouse was kind of a surprise, but like Michael McDowell finished 12th. DiBenedetto finished 13th. Um, obviously, your big, um, your big surprise or not surprise, but underdog this week. You know, depending on how practice and qualifying goes, is Gilly Gang, which we all love to see. Um, there's no real. I, so Justin Allgaier is running the 77 this week for Spire. Got he got his Brant company um, sponsoring there, and. Noah Gragson is in the 16. So those are like the only other guys that I could see being um, underdogs, I guess to say, because as we saw last year, like they're like uh, I think it was BJ McLeod motorsports. They got a, a dirt ringer in their car. Like I, what was it? Mike Marlar. No, that was Marlar, for NBM. Yeah. Mike. Go- yeah. Mike Marlar. You know, he finished 31st. Chris Windham finished 33rd for Rick Ware. Uh, Shane Golobic. He was the one that went for, BJ McLeod, he finished 37th. Um, yeah, the yeah, car like, only ran 39 laps or whatever it was. And, and even Stuart Friesen, you know, he ran the the Spire car last year, the 77. He finished 23rd. Like, and if I remember right, he was up in like the 9,000 range in DraftKings. <laughs> like everybody was talking about Stuart Friesen just because of how good he's been on dirt. But, and he finished the lap down. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think this is the. I still don't think this is a race to. This isn't a super speed. This still isn't a super speed air race. Like these cars still matter and the speed that they have still matters. So, um, yep. I, I guess Josh Williams is in the 78 for BJ McLeod as well. So there's another change, but nothing too like groundbreaking, I guess no, for this exactly. weekend. Yeah. I mean, that's why I still regress these guys, you know, to their equipment because whether, whether it's a concrete or a dirt or an asphalt or whatever, like outside of a super speedway, the equipment still matters. We saw that last year, the equipment still mattered at the dirt race. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's re- and even at a super speedway, the equipment still matters. It's just, you can still hang on to the lead draft, but you don't see guys like, uh, you know, BJ McLeod, just mixing it up for the lead. You, you see him hanging at the back of the pack and hoping other people have problems. Exactly. Uh, and looking at this entry list, I my Jordan Jinx is official. And I'll, you want to know why? Go ahead. Guess who's sponsoring Martin Truex Jr. this weekend? Oh, baby. The <laughs> if you've never listened to this podcast before, if you never followed my tweets, Martin Truex Jr. in the Autodors paint scheme is significantly more likely to dominate and win a race when he's running that car than he is any other car. I've ran all the numbers ever since they started sponsoring him. So now a track where he, I would say he jumped on the scene last year as I'm not going to sit here and say Truex is the best track racer, but he has to be up there. Now he's in the auto owners this weekend, 14 to one. That that is my bet. Before we even get to you know who's who's the pick to win for the to end out this episode, 
Martin Trex Jr. Auto owner's paint scheme. And Doc Block this week. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> I actually, it's funny. I keep forgetting who's Doc Block. I'm literally searching on Twitter right now because uh, I forgot. Oh, Austin Sindrick, a guy who's never raced on dirt in his life. Uh, I mean, I don't know about his life, but at least not in NASCAR. Uh, I think coming from a sports car background, probably probably not much, if any. You did get a top ten last week out of your out of your doc block. Uh, yeah, Chase Briscoe, who has been terrible at Martinsville. I also somehow. had Briscoe last week. Yeah, somehow in in random fancy racing, some way. So I'm 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 happy with that. Uh, and again, he was the breakout. Like he was the breakout of all the drivers. You know that we were like, these guys aren't going to be good at Martinsville, whatever. He was the breakout. And he still only finished ninth. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not like he got a fifth or a fourth or a third or a second. Finish ninth. Martinsville track history just matters so much. I'm looking right now. I'm looking at the 2022 standings for Random Fantasy Racing. The guy in first right now has not had anyone finish worse than ninth since Daytona. Wow, that is, and he has uh, Brad Keselowski this week. That's not good for him though. Brad Kozlowski's really low. You, uh, I, I know I didn't want to talk too much about fades, but Brad Kozlowski is really low in my model. And my model actually pulled him up some. I shouldn't say my model, but like my projected driver ratings. Uh, pulled him up some because of his odds being so short with other books. But I have him behind Todd Gilliland in driver, expected driver rating. Behind Stenhouse, behind Jones, behind Chris Buescher, behind Eric Almarola. Really? Yeah. I and the reason I'm just surprised by that is Kozlowski eleventh here last year, and Newman in the sixth car last year fifth. Yeah, but where did Kozlowski run last year for most of the race? I don't know because driveraverages.com took off. <laughs> um, this site just keeps getting worse by the week. Like I literally want to buy this site out and make it good. I need to like make them an offer on this because this is my this is my go to site for like I know a lot of people use Racing Reference. I've been always a driveraverages dot com guy, mm-hmm. but this year this this last week literally this last week they switched. When you go to looking at individual races, they show the damn sponsor instead of the driver rating. What are you doing? There's my rant for the week. There you go. So Brad Kozlowski finished eleventh. His highest <clears throat> point in the whole race was 11th. He literally finished at his highest point. Huh, that sounds like average Denny running position. Average running position. <laughs> exactly. Of 18th. Yeah, but at least Denny Hamlin won. <laughs> Brad Kozlowski finished 10 spots further back at Bristol Dirt last year. Uh, average, <laughs> average running position of 18th. Driver rating of 73.8. And okay, that was on okay. Penske, where his teammate dominated part of the race and won. Yeah, you're right. So that doesn't spoil I was just, too much for Brad yeah. Keselowski in terms of, oh boy. Uh, and this year, by and large, that team's been pretty bad outside of Richmond and Martinsville and Super Speedways. One top 10 this year for Keselowski, and it was Daytona where he finished ninth. And wrecked everybody to I, do so. Yeah, I will say, though, since Atlanta, he's finished 12th, 14th, 13th, and 17th, which... For them, I think is very good. 
Yes. But yeah, I'm not I'm anybody not else? Keselowski. Uh Kurt Bush is below Keselowski by one spot. So my model or my 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 calculation 74.2 for Brad Keselowski, driver rating expected 74.1 for Kurt Busch. Now let's take a look at uh, Kurt Busch on dirt. Kurt on dirt. Uh, average running position of 19th last year for Ganassi. And driver rating of 65 and a half. He finished on the lead lap. So there were no issues or anything. Just wasn't very good. Just wasn't very good. Kurt, Kurt Busch this season has... Like he had problems at Cody, he had problems at Richmond. Finished sixth at Martinsville, third at Atlanta, fifth at Phoenix, thirteenth at Vegas, eighth at Auto Club. I don't know how he keeps doing this. It's crazy. It's wild. And and you know, looking at it from a DFS perspective, how do you because Kurt Bush isn't getting ownership. Like no matter even with these finishes, Kurt Bush isn't getting ownership. Outside of Richmond, he was very high owned at Richmond, but for the most part, Kurt, Kurt Busch isn't getting ownership. And you know, as far as my how I do things with DFS wise, I can't sit here and recommend Kurt Busch when he doesn't have the actual speed to back up these finishes. No, exactly. If he's I wouldn't say lucked into it, but he's avoided attrition and he's restarted well when it counts. Uh, and he's always been an amazing restarter. One of the best at retention rate, one of the best at uh, position differential on restarts, etc. He's an incredible restarter, so that helps. And he's avoided troubles a lot this year. Um, Martinsville was actually one of the races where he was fast, right? But like Phoenix, he wasn't a fifth place car. He wasn't even anywhere near that. Auto right. Club, he wasn't anywhere near an eighth place car. Even Vegas, he wasn't anywhere near a thirteenth place car. And then Atlanta was, you know, super speedway. Super speedway, exactly. So when we talk about Kurt Busch, kind of like we're talking about Keselowski, a bad dirt race, and he's getting regressed to lower expectations than in the past. Keselowski moved from Penske to uh, Roush, to to his own team, (laughs) Uh, and Kurt moving from Ganassi to, not that 23XI is a big drop-off, but Kurt hasn't performed as well, 23XI, as he did at Ganassi. So a drop-off there for Kurt as well. So small dirt sample size where they didn't do very well anyway in better equipment, and now they're in worse situations, both of them. So that's why they're both so low. I have to correct myself. Um, I don't have these numbers updated through Martinsville, but through Richmond taking out Atlanta and Daytona, so the big, you know, the, the two most likely races to skew ownership data, Oh, and Circuit of the Americas. So looking at Fontana, Vegas, Phoenix, and Richmond, those four races, Kurt Busch is actually the fourth highest owned on average on DraftKings at 31.5%. So had to had to correct myself there. He's actually very high owned. Which which makes you know a fade even better. <laughs> exa- exactly, yeah. So he doesn't have the speed to go along with it. In the long run, you're going to do better going underway on Kurt Busch. One other name I want to throw out while we're on names of, of drivers that I really do not like this week. And 
you know, I, I definitely am not on the Keselowski bandwagon. I'm definitely not on the Kurt Busch bandwagon. But Harrison Burton, I am way off of. We talk about it, guys who did well in Kyle Busch equipment. You know, Todd Gilliland, Eric Jones, good, but, you know, not quite as good as Todd Gilliland. Still a 90-plus driver rating. Harrison Burton, 59 driver rating in his first race at Eldora with KBM. And the second one, he did finish 23 laps down. But before that, the stats looked really similar. Uh, You know, average driver rating, very similar, or not driver, average running position, very similar prior to his issue. A peak of only eighth, whereas the, uh, the race he didn't have issues, the peak of seventh. So he hasn't cracked a 60 driver rating in either race at dirt with Kyle Busch equipment. And again, there was an incident in one of those, but even without that incident, he did not look good. So Harrison Burton, and he's also struggled this year, is a guy I'm very down on this week. And that's just, that's another example of week by week because you and I were both quite high on Harrison Burton last week. Mm Mm-hmm. And I forget how he actually finished at Martinsville. I think he did okay. You know, he's fine, but he wasn't amazing. 26th, yeah. Ty Dillon, once again, coming through with a 23rd. I was going to say, didn't uh, Burton start 29th at Martinsville, Mm -hmm. if I remember? Yeah. But Ty Dillon uh, finished 23rd, so he was definitely – he was in the winning lineup. Yeah. And he was also 37% owned. But Harrison Burton got, you know, 28%, almost 29% ownership in DraftKings last week. And, you know, there were plenty of lineups that you could. It was so easy to make a lineup with Ty Dillon and Harrison Burton in it. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, one other driver that we really should not be playing this week. Cold Custard. Cold Custard. Yeah. Uh. 83 driver rating in that JR Motorsports. So really good truck at Eldora. And last year also was was pretty bad at the dirt race uh, in Cup. So not high on Cold Custard. Cold Custard. Harrison Burton. Kislow- Relative to expectations, I should say. You know, Kislowski and Kurt mm-hmm. Busch. Chase um, Briscoe. Chase Briscoe I'm actually pretty high on. I thought you were... I no, thought I just he think- was... I just think his odds are so short that, you know, in terms of betting, but I still like, I mean, my model still puts him ahead of Ryan Blaney, ahead of Alex Bowman, ahead of Tyler Reddick, ahead of Kyle Busch, ahead of Ross Chastain. (laughs) Uh, It's just that when you get Chastain at 35, why would you take Briscoe at 14? Right. But no, I definitely, I like Chase Briscoe. I think he's a great DFS play. I don't think he's a great bet. And when I say great DFS play, I mean, obviously it depends on, where he starts and <laughs> what other ownerships we project and stuff. But uh, he has the potential to get you a lot of fantasy points. Let's just put it that way. Yep. But I wouldn't bet him at 14 to one, which I think is the longest you can find him right now. I'm flipping back over to action network.com slash NASCAR 14 to one at DraftKings. pretty much 14 to one across the board. Every yeah. single book except Caesars has him 14 to one, which has him 12 to one. I feel like a lot of books this week just took DraftKings odds and copied them. 
It's funny because a couple books, uh, DraftKings opened seven and a half, and then I think it was Caesars and the Candy books posted like three and a half, four, four and a half, five, somewhere in there for Larson. But DraftKings was still sitting there at seven and a half. DraftKings is the one that's come down on Larson towards everybody else because they've probably taken a crap ton of bets on him. I should have yep. bet him at seven and a half, didn't, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like we've we've covered most of the drivers. I would say, I will say the Dylan brothers this week. People are going to be, I think, high on them. Um, based off, I've seen people betting Austin Dylan at 50, 55. I think that's fine. Now he's at forty, and I wouldn't bet him there. Uh, so I think he's fairly priced. Can can do well. He he won the very first Eldora dirt race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's fine. And Ty Dillon has done okay in some of the truck dirt races. Uh, so, you know, I think he's fairly priced. I wouldn't, you know, bet him outright to win or top 10. I think he's fairly priced. Uh, even though he's low in my model, he's low in the odds board as well. So uh, I think the Dillon brothers are fine relative to expectations. Um, but that's... I'll tell you what, one thing about Ty Dillon, you know, not looking at him betting-wise, but DFS-wise, he's moved up in every single race this year except for Atlanta. Yeah. And he's been severely underpriced in pretty much every race this year as well. So yeah, Absolutely. <clears throat> definitely a, a great DFS play. Mm-hmm. Kevin Harvick, another one who doesn't stand out in my model. Um, below Bubba Wallace. Below Daniel Suarez. Below Ross Chastain. Hmm. All right, so my pick to win is Martin Truex Jr. for the Bristol Dirt Race. Who's your boy this week? Don't say Denny Hamlin. <laughs> I'm not going to say Denny Hamlin. Uh, I think it'll be Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell. I mean, I think it'll be Kyle Larson. So that's my pick to win. But my alternate pick to win is Joey Logano. Back-to-back years. Uh, and the reason, look at the guys that ran the truck race last year. Suarez and Truex. Who dominated mm-hmm. the race last year? Suarez and Truex. Suarez and Truex. Who's running the truck race this year? Joey Logano. I like that. Uh, and, you know, he won last year. Penske's been good this year. So my 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 non-Kyle Larson pick to win is Joey Logano. My Paul Menard picked a win. <laughs> Joey Logano. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Logano won the Bush Clash, but he has yet to win this year. So that would give us eight winners through nine races if Joey Logano would do it. But I think that's it. I think that's all we got for Bristol Dirt. Next week, we're going to have fun talking about Talladega. I'm excited to talk about Talladega. I know you are. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good week. I'll be firing DFS for that. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. I hope hope we get a good good contest. um, Yeah, me too. To play with. But, yeah, enjoy the race. Hopefully this is a good race. Hopefully this race is better this this week than it was last year. Good luck with your bets. Good luck with DFS. And we'll talk to you next week when we go to Talladega for the second, eh, technically the third Super Speedway race of the year. But first, we've got to get through this dirt mess. Good luck, guys. See you.